0: Good afternoon, and welcome to this EurActive online event, which is kindly supported by the Environmental Defence Fund Europe. My name is Frederic Simon. I'm the Energy and Environment Editor of EurActive, and I will be your host for today's event, which is titled EU Methane Regulation: How Can Policymakers Raise Ambition? Now, today's event uh, comes in the context of a surge in global gas prices. Um, across the world, and a simultaneous push by the European Commission to regulate emissions of climate-warming methane in the atmosphere. So where do we stand when it comes to regulating uh, methane emissions in Europe? How does that fit with action being taken at the international level? And what more can be done to raise the level of ambition? Uh, To discuss uh, this topic today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Malcolm McDowell, team leader on methane emissions at the European Commission's Energy Directorate. Martin Hojsik a Slovak MEP from the Centrist Renew Europe Group in the European Parliament. Trutopoulos, a German MEP, sitting with the Greens in the European Parliament. She'll be joining a bit later on. Didier Olo, president of Eurogas and executive vice-president at ENGIE, the French Energy Utility. And Dagmar Drogsma, from the Environmental Defence Fund Europe. Welcome to all of you and thanks for joining us today. We'll start this virtual conference with a series of short opening statements from the speakers and then we'll move on to a Q&A discussion that will also include questions from the audience. To ask a question, simply use the chat function on the right hand side of your screen and we will take questions directly from there. I think that's all for me, so without further ado, let me give the floor to Malcolm McDowell from the European Commission. Thank you very much for your introduction. Uh, can you hear me well? Yes we can. You can uh, go ahead.
1: Great. Thank you. Hello everyone. Thank you for inviting the Commission at this event. Uh, a little comment, first of all, before I, I, I start with my statement, or so I guess you could say it's part of it. So what, surprised by the title uh, of the statement, uh, how can policy makers raise ambition, um, given that this conference is happening uh, after we have only just adopted a proposal on methane regulation before Christmas, I have uh, to interpret this as the Commission official, um, uh, as th- that the, uh, the sponsors, at least the sponsors of this conference, consider uh, at least that this proposal is perhaps not ambitious enough. Um, so, having said that, the, introdu- in the introductory text of this conference also uh, states specifically that up until now, little has been done in Europe on the regulatory front to reduce methane emissions from oil and gas, and that's true. And indeed, if it is true, then one could say that, relatively speaking, by coming forward with a, what we consider to be a comprehensive set of obligations on companies and EU member states to measure, monitor, and have verified, and to further mitigate methane emissions in the oil gas and coal sectors including some obligations to on importers into the eu uh, with this proposal the commission is seeking to significantly increase the ambition um, but um, uh, on top well and i want to say also on top of that you won't be surprised to hear that what we that we think as the commission that we have delivered uh, an ambitious proposal and in, in a few words what is the justification for thinking that Well, first of all, this proposal contains obligations for companies to deliver actual source level measurements of methane emissions where possible, as well as site level uh, measurements within a certain uh, amount of time. Whereas currently reporting of energy sector methane emissions is mostly based on non-source specific generic estimations. These estimations are then the basis for the Greenhouse Gas National Inventory's reporting that is done uh, on methane emissions to the UNFCCC as part of our commitments to the Paris Agreement. So, our proposal no less promises to improve on the quality of energy sector methane emissions data that is delivered to UNFCCC. Furthermore, the approach for oil and gas is based on what is considered the best in class international standard of reference on oil and gas MRV uh, monitoring, uh, reporting, and verification of methane emissions, which is the Oil and Gas Methane Partnership which is a multi-stakeholder standard that has been developed together by governments, representatives of society as well as companies. This proposal furthermore contains an obligation to establish and make publicly available an inventory of all inactive wells and closed or abandoned mines as well as monitor and measure methane emissions from those wells. Taking into account all these requirements, I think it wouldn't be unfair to say that if the legislators adopted this part of the proposal as such, it would amount, we think, to the most demanding regulation in terms of measurement, monitoring, reporting and verification requirements of all gas and coal methane emissions in the world. This proposal also contains strict obligations on leak detection and repair, would require EU and gas uh, operators to conduct leak detection and repair surveys of all relevant components under their operations every three months and to repair all leaks above a certain threshold immediately after detection or soon thereafter with an obligation to continuously monitor to discover leaks of all sizes. Furthermore, this proposal contains a prohibition on venting, except in the case of an emergency or malfunction, or where unavoidable and when flaring is unfeasible. It also bans routine flaring, adopting the widely supported World Bank definition on that, and only allows any type of flaring to occur if re-ejection, utilization on-site or dispatch of the methane to market are not feasible options. In addition, it contains the requirement to have complete combustion efficiency in flare stacks to avoid methane slip, an important source of methane emissions in the energy sector. There is also an obligation on member states and or companies to develop and implement a mitigation plan to remediate, reclaim and permanently plug inactive wells or coal mines. There again, for the requirements on mitigation as a whole, what we are proposing is is we think, no less than groundbreaking compared to existing methane regulations in the, existing in the EU or elsewhere. With respect to the EU's energy imports, uh, there is an obligation on importers of fossil energy to the Union to provide member states with information on the methane emissions of their suppliers as well as the type of measures in place in those countries related to measurement reporting and mitigation of methane emissions. We then propose to use this information, all the information we will gather through these other obligations in this proposal to establish two transparency tools that will show the performance and reduction efforts of countries and or energy companies from across across the globe. A Transparency database where the data reported by importers and EU operators will be made available to the public showing the level of commitment of energy companies and energy producing countries across the globe to reduce their methane emissions as well as the methane emissions that have been provided uh, uh, for all these different uh, uh, sources. And the the second uh, um, tool which we'll be putting in place, the Commission will put in place a global monitoring tool to bring the spotlight on high methane emitting sources inside and outside the EU, which would be harnessing the EU's world leadership in environmental monitoring via satellites and also based on the most innovative global satellite technologies. There is also the provision to review the imports related parts of the methane regulation by 2025 or earlier, even if sufficient evidence is available, with a view to consider introducing more stringent measures applicable to importers if deemed appropriate and based on the necessary evidence with respect to measurement reporting and verification, as well as mitigation of energy sector methane emissions. And there, I'm sure to say that we are putting forward with regard to imports and transparency tools Uh, what we are putting forward is a world-first, which no other country in the world currently does. Um, And as uh, last few comments, uh, I would invite anyone who considers that they disagree with this, (laughs) um, indeed to come forward with practical, realistic proposals to make uh, on how we could be more ambitious we are more than open to hear them and would be hopeful then that such suggestions are taken on board by the co-legislators because our intention is definitely to come up in the end with a with a uh, an ambitious uh, regulation but i want to make also one last point as regards the ambition level of this proposal uh, and it is intended for those who are somehow taking for granted just how ambitious we are being with all parts of it i think it's important to highlight that potentially some co-legislators Will no doubt consider that some or even all parts of it are too ambitious and will seek to water it down so please, so please what i would say to anyone who is focusing on any one part as opposed to a, a another uh, not to take any part of it as uh, granted um, at the expense of concentrating all energy and lobbying efforts on changing those parts which you consider
0: less ambitious and that's all i have
1: to say thank you
0: Thanks, Malcolm McDowell, for uh, explaining the Commission's approach uh, to methane regulation. So, let me turn now to Martin Hosek from
2: the uh, European Parliament's Renew Europe Group. So, uh, thank you for the invitation and I'm really happy that uh, we're discussing this issue today because honestly, I think methane emissions, are, especially in the energy sector, a bit of a skeleton in the closet. Uh, they haven't been much talked about and I uh, welcome the commission initiative Uh, I think that it would be nice to see a broader legislation, Uh, it would be really nice to see a legislation which looks beyond just uh, the energy sector but uh, it's a step forward and we have to acknowledge that now uh, I have to say, is it something which could be improved? Yes I think much more could be done uh, especially on the side of uh, the imported uh, oil and gas. I think this is where we need to be stronger uh, and we need to be bolder. I'm very happy uh, to see the uh, stronger monitoring. We have to look closer on the provisions on the in-situ monitoring, which the estimates, but uh, definitely there is an improvement in the commission proposal. Uh, the ban on routing, flaring and venting is uh, definitely improvement, just like the uh, MRV. Uh, especially why I'm raising uh, the issue of imported oil and gas is outside of the environmental and climate perspective. And I'm, I'm sure uh, Jutta Paulus will be talking uh, about it a lot. Uh, and definitely it's not a minor issue. It's a major issue. I want to bring aspect, which is not much talked about. And it's a level play field for uh, European businesses because if we have certain requirements from the producers uh, and transporters in Europe, uh, then they would ultimately, not trying to bring the same requirements to uh, the gas and oil that's being imported, is something that would put the uh, European gas producers at a disadvantage. Uh, And this is where I think we need to have not just calls for uh, international collaboration, but we need to look I would even dare to say to something close, uh, as we are thinking about in the CBAM, on uh, oil and gas imports, uh, Because at the end of the day, I think the motivation uh, should be that the oil and gas that are imported in Europe are on the same standard. And that means also with uh, the least possible uh, methane emissions. So I'm looking forward to the discussions in the Parliament. I, I'm really hoping that uh, what we will see coming from the Parliament uh, will be a strong proposal how to improve the legislation, how to make it uh, more ambitious in terms of not just the protection of environment and climate, but also in terms of, as I said, the level play field for uh, European businesses and European producers and uh, ultimately uh, have... An openness also from the council, uh, where I have a bit of a concern uh, towards uh, an outcome of a trilogue that would see Europe uh, not just leading the the way in gas in terms of the domestic uh, the, uh, in the meeting in terms of the uh, the emissions within Europe, but really making sure that we are doing maximum possibly possible to lower the, uh, kind of minimize the emissions we are responsible for as a European Union outside of Europe, because that's where most of the emissions that we are responsible are. Thank you.
0: Thanks, uh, Martin Hosek. And let me turn now to Jutta Paulis.
3: Yes, thank you very much for having me. And I would like to just um, elaborate a bit on what Martin has already pointed out. Uh, emissions, which we are responsible for, mainly occur outside the European Union as 90% of our oil and gas is imported. And therefore, I am a bit disappointed that after having delivered such a strong initiative report on methane emissions in September, the Commission chose to not um, take up our initiative, but rather propose something which is much weaker, because what the Parliament had called for is actually a firm, clear legal framework with deadlines when it comes to those imported emissions, as I would like to call them, saying that our suppliers will have to make sure that they adhere to ELDAR and a ban of venting and flaring and all this with a clear deadline. So the Commission could have brought forward a proposal saying there will be a certification procedure. Or rather, there will even be a ban for those that do not adhere to those guidelines. And I will not elaborate a lot on the other sectors, which Martin has already addressed. Because, of course, the initiative report from the parliament also called for action on the agricultural and the waste sector. And when it comes to the domestic emissions, there also we... See, let's call it room for improvement because, of course, it's fine to monitor methane emissions from coal mines and also from abandoned coal mines, but it would have been much better to put in an obligation to actually mitigate those emissions and that to give the member states the possibility to do so, especially for those abandoned mines where no owner can be found um, or where the owner has long deceased and no one is the legal successor, and I mean, of course, talking of those mines in Silesia where um, nothing has happened since 1937 or something like this, and there we need a solution and not a further postponement, just monitoring what is emitted from there. Um, Please remember, according to the newest IPCC report, chapter one, we have um, 82 times The greenhouse gas potential of methane within a time frame of 20 years, we want to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% within this decade. So this will not be achieved if we do not urgently tackle methane emissions in all sectors. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Let me turn now to Didier Olo from NGE and Eurogas. Hello,
4: everyone. Um, To be very clear, I'm speaking today on behalf of Eurogas. Um, And let me start with a statement that the gas industry in itself, according to International Energy Agency, is only um, responsible for 8% of the methane emission worldwide. So we have to take that into account. And these 8% are more or less the same as uh, coal emission and oil emission, and it's far less than agriculture, wetlands, uh, and a number of other sources. So, 8% is far too much, and we need to reduce that, and there is no doubt within our industry that we are committed to reduce this amount of methane emission. But we also must keep in mind that the gas industry can contribute to the resolution of the 92 other percent. Two examples. Well, methane emission from coal mines, be it inactivity or old ones, could be collected within the gas network and put to use rather than being uh, uh, flared in in the atmosphere. The same applies to agriculture. By uh, putting uh, agricultural waste into methanization, into bio plants, plant, we can avoid natural emission to the environment and therefore contribute to the reduction of the 92%. Second, we have to be uh, fully aware that methane emissions are no longer a very big issue in, uh, in Western Europe. According to the data we already collected and to the monitoring already in place, uh, for a typical uh, value chain from well-production to consumption in Europe, you will be around methane emission less than point, uh, that 0.2% of the methane transported, which means that we are already at a significant level of performance. It doesn't mean that we cannot improve that, we certainly can and we must, but. We have to be aware that the figures that we see some, some, in some places around several percent of leaks are not representative of what's happening in Europe. And there is a good reason for that. Contrary to other countries, most of our production is happening offshore, where our employees, our people, are living on the platform. So they have a definitive, wasted interest to make sure that there are no leaks and also the fact that globally Western Europe is more densely populated than other countries like the US makes that our stakeholders have been far more sensitive to leaks than other populations and therefore we have fought against these leaks uh, far more strongly than others. I see a proof of that in the fact that tools like satellite satellite observation by Kairos, and Kairos is a member of Eurogas, um, have not shown big leaks in Western Europe uh, since they are observing. We see big leaks in other parts of the world, but not so much in, in Western Europe. Third point I wanted to make is that the real issue today is how do we push the good practices that we have developed in the European gas industry upstream to the to the supplying countries. And in that respect, we already have an experience within Eurogas because some of our members, like Total Energy, ENI and so on, are producing in these uh, third countries. And they have shown and demonstrated that in any country they are able to reduce the global methane leaks from end to end in the value chain below 0.2, 0.3%. So it's doable. The question is, how do we make it? Transparency is the first step. Uh, Diversification of supply provides a leverage over the suppliers. But we have to make sure that we do not jeopardize security of supply at the same time we are pushing um, these constraints upwards. And that's a topic where the industry represented by Eurogas, is uh, very happy to work together with the uh, um, legislature and policymaker in order to find the right way to push the, push the good practices upward, upstream, towards the supplying country. And we think one thing important in that respect is to stick to the agreed technical framework, which is OGMP uh, 2.0 framework. So, the oil and gas methane partnership, that's by adopting these rules, which are internationally recognized, that we will be more efficient in uh, generalizing the good practices that we have in Western Europe in other parts of the world. Thank you for your attention.
0: Thank you, Didiolo. Uh, let me turn now to Dagmar Drogsma from the Environmental Defense Fund.
5: Thank you, uh, Frédéric, and um, well, I'm very happy to be here and to share my thoughts um, on the proposals, and I hope those thoughts will inspire co-legislators, perhaps just as an introductory remark, um, for us 2021 was a very important year for methane, so the science showed very clearly that if we cut methane emissions urgently, the Paris targets of staying below 1.5 degrees Celsius are still within our reach. And also the Global Methane Pledge launched by the EU and the US at COP26, provides the world with a vehicle to make that happen. So that's all good. Um, We were really pleased with the leadership role the EU showed last year, and we'd like the EU to keep on playing that role. And for me, the question therefore is, does this draft legislation underscore that role or actually undermine it? So I'd like to make two remarks about that. Um, first, we do think that the proposal moves into a positive direction where it relates to the rules of government measurement, reporting and verification, leak detection and repair and ending routine venting and flaring. These rules are absolutely essential. Our scientists have gathered empirical data in many places in the world and there was one pattern there that all governments, regulators and companies completely underestimate the volume of methane emissions they emit. So this is an essential part of the legislation. We do see some opportunities there to improve that further. And for example, we think that a more frequent obligation for leak detection and repair is really, really important. And there's already precedent for that. So um, Colorado, for example, is more ambitious than the EU here. They have just adopted a new monthly inspection program. And we really encourage the EU to do that as well. Second though, um, and that is where I'm seriously underwhelmed by the draft legislation, I in, in a way, I would be repeating what previous speakers have already said. But as we do know that 90 percent of gas consumed within the EU is produced outside its borders, something has got to be done about that. And perhaps, you know, not everyone in the audience may know this, but most of the methane from this import is released before the gas enters the EU. The draft legislation leaves those upstream methane emissions completely off the hook. And you know, that doesn't really show leadership. So, yes, importers have got to share some information about measurement reporting and what have you, but it's not a requirement or a condition for exporters even to provide that information. So we don't really know what that will achieve, therefore. So that aspect, therefore, we see as a lost opportunity for showing real leadership, a mixed picture, therefore, from our perspective, we've got ideas also as to how that part of the legislation can seriously be improved. So we hope that we can touch upon that into the in the discussion now. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you uh, Dagmar uh, Drogsma. So let me start now uh, the discussion with um, a question about uh, verification and uh, reporting uh, of methane emission, which um, is um, the centrepiece, in a way, of the Commission proposal that was presented in December. Um, So just to be sure, um, um, do you think those rules are strong enough? Uh, In your view, do you see loopholes maybe there that need to be fixed? And uh, probably more importantly, do you believe those requirements, uh, in your view, should also apply to imports of natural gas? And uh, maybe Martin Hoysic, you can have the floor first uh, on this one.
2: Well, in terms of the uh, reporting, I think... This, there is always room for tweaking and improving, for example, on the on the transparency and proactive publishing going down to the individual locations. Uh, and also, I want to point out that what is a bit concerning for me in terms of uh, what we saw uh, over the last year with the, the documentation uh, released by the uh, Cleaner Task Force, I am bit concerned if we actually have sufficient data and uh, and in terms of monitoring emissions already also in europe so i'm a bit concerned on the about potential underreporting so we need more in situ measurements and kind of a uh potentially a, a real-time data to prevent to make sure that we don't actually have more methane emissions than we think that we have uh so kind of catch the missing things uh and have full compliance, and I would say proactive compliance with the Aarhus Convention on access to information, uh, to data on uh, the uh, pollution of environment, and for me it's a pollutant. Uh, second, indeed, uh, the imports are a crucial, crucial, crucial thing. It's nice to hear from you guys about how we do a lot in Europe. Yes, but that's again where you know a European gas producer, which is uh, trying to do the best, is uh, having a disadvantage on its profitability as opposed to Gazprom, let's say, uh, which uh, having seen the satellite pictures of the leaks in the, you know, um, the, the Yamal field, for example, uh, is something which is very concerning. Uh, and ultimately the situation is not ideal also uh, in the Perm Basin in the U.S. Uh, nor in the Gulf, and it's really sad how you know uh, much methane is leaking. And this is this is for me the really the biggest issue that we need to address. Uh, there are lots of kind of details on transparency and being having high quality monitoring, but if we ignore the imports, then we leave loophole uh, larger than Brussels.
0: Thanks Martin Osik. Uh, Tristopoulos, maybe your views on that same question about reporting, monitoring and verification. Do you believe uh, there are maybe gaps there that need to be filled uh, and whether you believe that should be extended as well immediately to imports uh, of uh, of natural gas uh, coming from places like Russia or United States?
3: Well, I think the the monitoring reporting verification issue is something which could be um, extended to imports fairly quickly. It's much more difficult when it comes to LDAR and um, the ban on on venting and flaring, where I think we must provide a little bit of more time. Um, We already have the the common framework, so to speak, on how to monitor, report and verify those emissions. So basically, nothing hinders us in applying it as quickly as possible, especially since we have been inactive on this issue for more than 20 years now. I mean, the first methane strategy from the commission dates back to the 1990s. So it's quite um, unbelievable how long we have ignored this issue. Um, I think what's also important to note, while of course it is true that the satellite images um, which are monitoring methane emissions worldwide do not see a lot of large emitters in Europe. Um, it is, this is unfortunately not true for the smaller emitters because I mean it is not only ETF but also Deutsche Umwelthilfe which have made their own measurements finding out that there is a lot more gas leaking than originally thought. And therefore, I think these obligations should be deployed as quickly as possible. And as Martin has already pointed out, leaving the imported emissions off the hook just misses 90% of the emissions. And also, I think that um, by putting these obligations towards the industry now, that's the only way to actually um, keep a role for gas because if you look at this 20 year time frame for the greenhouse gas potential and you do the math, then you end up with a mere 10% advantage of gas concerning greenhouse gas com, um, emissions compared with coal. Because as soon as you're at 3, 4, 5% of leakage, that um, greenhouse gas advantage of gas is already gone. So, therefore, what may happen is that for example, Eastern European countries, which are heavily relying on coal today, would be saying, well, why should we switch to gas in the first place if it doesn't have an advantage? Let's keep our coal power plants running, and in the meanwhile, we um, try to ramp up our renewables and switch to batteries at once. This is nothing that the gas industry should try to aim for. So therefore, it should be in the industry's own interest to make sure that those emissions are tackled as soon as possible, and also I believe that the monitoring issue should be very firmly rooted in the legislation, and also an external process to find out whether this monitoring is really finding everything, um, not only verifying records but actually doing measurements on a um, on a on a base of of. Sorry, my English is just leaving me Uh, on um, certain probing, let's say. So, of course, not uh, verifying every single measurement with a counter measurement, but just going there from time to time, trying to find out whether this is really being done the way it should be. Thank you.
0: Yes, I guess what you meant was something like auditing uh, or inspections uh, to make sure that the, uh, uh, the data reported is, is actually uh, accurate. Um, let me turn now um, to Didiolo with the same question about monitoring, reporting and verification. Do you believe uh, there are gaps maybe that need to be filled uh, in the Commission proposal? Do you believe that should be extended to all uh, natural gas imports? Uh, as well, with a view to regulating them uh, soon?
4: Well, uh, first let me um, react to what was just said about coal versus gas. Uh, Saying that any leaks in the gas industry can change the order of merit between gas and coal is just wrong because you have exactly the same methane emission from the coal industry as you have from the gas industry today, so when you make the comparison, you should take the fact that methane emission of both industries are the same so it doesn't change the comparison in any way and these are the figures of the international Energy Agency second um, in terms of monitoring reporting verification, we agree that it is necessary and we, uh, we already do a lot. What worries us in the Commission proposal is that some of the measures they propose are just um, far too inefficient in terms of how many greenhouse gas emissions you will avoid with this measure when more efficient things could be done elsewhere uh, with more significant impact. Let me just take an example. Um, Polyethylene pipes leaks are very uh, limited and uh, and quite rare. Uh, Particularly, most of them are linked to uh, neighboring works being done underground, so we know where the dangerous areas are. So, monitoring every single meter of polyethylene pipe every three months is just a waste of time and money compared to the number and volume of leaks you will avoid. So we would like the Commission to come with a more accurate assessment of how much is expected to to be uh, earned in terms of methane leak avoidance, uh, and how much it costs, and how much uh, money, time, and so on it will take compared to other measures which may be more efficient. So that's something which we think is is lacking in the the current proposal. Um, And I don't know if the comparison with Colorado is uh, relevant, because obviously the number of leak detection depends on the kind of material and the age of your network. We know that in Europe we old we have some old um, networks and this one need to be monitored more frequently than the very recent polyethylene ones. So maybe in Colorado the, the the pipes are quite old and you need to measure them more frequently. What we say is that the frequency of monitoring needs to be uh, fit for purpose and adequate to the uh, current state of the uh, of the network. Uh, coming back to the issue of how much leaks there are indeed, I will strongly oppose any estimate that there are several percent of uh, leakage in, uh, in uh, Western European networks. Uh, our members do a lot of measurement. I remember doing measurement on platforms offshore, we do measurement on our networks. And each and every time, we find figures which are consistent with the 0.2% that I was quoting uh, in my introductory speech. So um, I I think we really have to take into account the fact that not all the gas industry is the same, and that the situation of the US, which is uh, quite bad in certain parts, should not be taken as an example of what's happening in other parts of the world. Um, Another important point is that it's very operator-dependent, more than country-dependent. If you take uh, the same country, you will find fields operated by big companies which are very much aware of the issue and which have very high level of performance, very low level of leaks. And you will see other fields operated by companies who have no reputation whatsoever to protect and who are doing a very poor job in terms of leaks. So this is also an important point to, to, to take into account. You cannot discuss one country as if it were uh, representative of some practices. You will have good and bad operators in the same country. Now. How do we push upstream the good practices of Western Europe? That's a tricky issue because uh, it's not the habit of uh, Europe to uh, impose internationally uh, its own regulation on other countries. So once again, we need to find a way to push them without uh, jeopardizing our gas supply because
0: it's still necessary for the years to come. Okay, thanks, Didiolo. And so let me now turn to Dagmar Drogsma uh, for your views on monitoring, reporting and verification. And then we'll turn back to Malcolm McDowell maybe for uh, some reactions to what has been said. Uh, Dagmar Drogsma, so on monitoring, reporting and verification, uh, briefly, do you believe there are gaps there that need to be filled? And do you believe that should be extended immediately uh, to uh, imports um, of natural gas?
5: Well, I don't think you will surprise to hear me say that I do think that has got to be extended immediately to imports. Um, and I think other speakers already very eloquently have explained why. So I won't dwell on that for too long, but it is absolutely essential. Um, I do think that in the EMRV part, there are some aspects indeed that could be slightly improved. And so um, I think we need to look at that uh, really quite carefully. But for example, on, on the top of my head, there's provision that um, asks for monitoring of of submit submitting of level five emission data only after three years. So for those of you who don't know, that is the gold standard of um, measurement. But if that only happens after three years, after the legislation is into force, we only know after some years where the gold standard is actually meet, met. And I don't really see why we would need to wait so long, particularly because those standards come from the OGMP 2.0. So most companies are already familiar with it. I think also in other technical parts of the legislation, things could be improved. I mean, I refer to Elda. I hear what the previous speaker said. But what is interesting about the Colorado example is that the monthly inspection is for new wells. Yeah? It's not for old data. It is introduced for new well sites. And interestingly for the older sites that they have, they've got a system where there's flexibility and those sites that have got the highest amount of missions have got to be expected monthly. But then for sites with less emissions, the frequency is a bit less. So that's quite an interesting approach. But it's not true that it's only done for incredibly old sites. No, it's for the new ones. So supposedly the ones that actually are the cleanest. So that's quite interesting. I think also on Eldar, there's some other things that could be improved. So at the moment, for example, the language could be read as that only certain uh, detection tools can be used. So we think it's really important that the language in the legislation makes clear that the best available technology is always used for detecting leaks. And that obviously is important because the technology is moving on. So why limit it to old techniques? So those are a couple of examples that yeah we'd like to still see some improvements. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Dagmar Drogsma. And so let me now turn to Malcolm McDowell for some reactions about uh, the question of monitoring, um, reporting, and, and verification. Um, it seems um, among the panelists there is strong demand to see uh, those kinds of rules extended immediately uh, to imports of natural gas. What was the Commission's assessment when you looked at this possibility? I guess this is something that you must have looked at. Uh, into, uh, before presenting the regulation last year, what was the conclusion of that uh, assessment? Uh, Would that be something um, that would be sound uh, to do, both legally and politically?
1: Yes. um, Well, I think, first of all, we need to uh, reflect a little bit more on what the Commission is proposing to do here with regards to importers uh, and not dismiss it out of hand as something that, that is unambitious enough and uninteresting. If we do that uh, in the context of uh, discussions um, in the second stage of the, of the process, we could end up with less, I think, um, because um, w- what we consider we've delivered with a proposal that we have um, uh, is uh, the result of what we think is the most feasible to do Now it's not as ambitious perhaps as the most ambitious of of, uh, different types of measures uh, such as uh, we heard from some of the stakeholders that went as far uh, um, as to ask us to even condition access of uh, gas and oil uh, to Europe uh, on complying uh, with the regulations that we are seeking to impose on EU companies. Can you imagine that in this particular uh, current context? Um, how crazy that sounds. Um, and as I said, um, uh, we're looking to impose obligations, obligations which, like every other obligations in this proposal, uh, are uh, subject to penalties to be imposed by member states for non-compliance, and therefore are real obligations. They're not just, I don't know how Dagmar dismissed it as, a, uh, as just a, an information requirement. It's an obligation on importers to supply us with extensive information uh, on extensive information which will allow us uh, to develop a profile uh, of each and every and we're looking to do this really for each and every uh, exporter to the eu of oil gas and coal uh, with a complete profile uh, on methane emissions how they're reported what regulations are in place um, exactly and with a view uh, eventually not only to know more about the methane emissions that are coming from those places but with a view also to assess uh, uh, after a few years whether we consider that they're doing enough uh, and it, it also uh, what will be interesting with this information is that it will help us uh, to do an assessment together with the international methane observatory uh, emission uh, methane emissions observatory uh, to uh, to consider whether these uh, countries many of which have s- uh, signed up to the global methane pledge are doing much uh, about meeting it we'll be assessing that as part of this uh, obligation these transparency tools that we're putting in place as I said no one else is doing this um, uh, in the world today so this is uh, this is a first uh it's not. It's going to be a challenge. Let's not uh, belittle it as if it's something that we'll uh, uh, easily put together. I think it'll be a challenge to get all that information. And with the monitoring tools uh, uh, that we have uh, in Europe that allows us to see uh, uh, large leaks, large methane emissions elsewhere, we will be able to to come back uh, in our uh, bilaterals, in our discussions with other. Countries in the context of the global methane pledge with actual evidence. When we consider that not not enough is being done, let's not forget this this review, which is already coming in 2025. Um, depending exactly on on, on when this uh, uh, regulation comes into effect, could be very very shortly after it comes into effect. This is quite uh, quite ambitious for the Commission to follow through with. We didn't decide this lightly, Um, uh, this is something we signed up to already which will be uh, very arduous I think and very difficult to to deliver, but we will deliver it. The other thing is we're not just talking, some people have spoken about the timber regulation or how we're regulating renewable fuels uh, that are coming into Europe uh, as finished fuels. Uh, and that we're able to uh, to ass- the sustainability requirements of which we're able to assess and for which we sent verifiers. This is about assessing the methane emissions uh, along an extremely complex supply chain covering three different sectors uh, from production uh, all the way to transmission and final distribution. Um, um, and which I don't think it'd be very easy to do by sending uh, verifiers to uh, other to third countries where we have no ju- no jurisdictions. So it's easy to say that it's something that should be done. It's rather less easy to try uh, uh, to to deliver deliver uh, deliver a system uh, that works. And certification, as we've seen, in exi- some existing regulations, don't always work or not very effectively. Uh, and I'm surprised that. Greens are so intent on pushing for certification in this field when they've been so so, um, critical of the kind of certification that we've put in place for renewable fuels. Um, We should be careful what we wish for. Certification is not a panacea, it's a a complex operation, you have to do it well, and more to the point, you can't delegate the responsibilities totally to third parties. Um, The other thing that I want to highlight, and that's something that um, uh, Mr. Ollo said uh, the security of supply implications, which I'm quite astounded not to hear any of the other participants mention anything about, especially in the current uh, in the current context. Um, we are, uh, let us not forget, uh, uh, dependent. Seventy uh, percent of of our uh, uh, of our current uh, consumption of energy is uh, is fossil energy. And we're dependent on imports for 70% of it. Uh, And for uh, oil and gas, it's upwards of 90%. Um, Are we in a position? Yes, you've highlighted it. We're the biggest consumer of uh, oil and gas uh, in the world, perhaps. But are we really in a position um, to be uh, extremely prescriptive in terms of uh, how exactly methane emissions should be monitored? Uh, Are we in a position to go to the US and Russia right now and tell them, Um, We've just signed up the Global Methane Pledge, where we've all uh, agreed on our uh, common contribution towards meeting it. We've all signed up to it, but uh, we don't really believe that you'll deliver. So we've come up with a regulation that is telling you that, in fact, we're going to regulate you anyway. Um, How how would we look? Um, I think think we should consider all these uh, difficulties. Uh, and, and and come up with something at the end of the day that makes sense. Uh, and I haven't heard so far a proposal with regards to how we could, re- could regulate imports of oil, gas and coal. Um, that makes a great deal of sense. I think diplomacy is extremely important. Um, shining a light on those emission sources that we are seeing everywhere with our own technology, so no one will be able to prevent us from using it, is an excellent first step. To make it extremely difficult in the end, in a few years, for anyone to hide behind their methane emissions, we'd we'll be able to point at them and say, "Look, we know we know all about the, uh, your your methane emission problem, which you're not tackling, um, and uh, and you have to do more than to j- just to sign up to uh, international agreements. You have to show us that you're making efforts." I think that's a fairly uh, strong uh, approach that we can be taking, and and so I. I'm inclined to uh, to not agree uh, on the ambition with regards to imports. And I'm focusing on that because I suspect that once you ask on ELDA and on Venting and flaring, the same sort of comments will come. We should have done more on imports. So perhaps we've covered those points already as far as I'm concerned, certainly.
0: Thanks, Malcolm McDougall. And and thanks for raising the point about the, uh, the current uh, context uh, in which we are with the uh, current surge in, in prices on the gas market, so maybe let me uh, turn to Martin Hosick now with a question related to this. Um, I mean, given the current situation on, on gas markets globally, is it a good idea to start um, uh, imposing regulations uh, inside Europe on, on, on methane, but also potentially, like you were suggesting, on, on exporters of natural gas at a time when we're in such a fragile uh, situation here in Europe? Martin Hosick, what's your view on that?
2: Well, uh, for me, it's perfect time because the windfall profits that the companies have are clearly not just enabling them to do things, but also are uh, ultimately uh, showcasing there is way more money leaking out of the pipes. It's way more money going up in the air, so it's not only about the climate impact on the methane emissions. It's about the bottom line impact of the of the methane emissions. If you know uh, the the suppliers would be able to sell us uh, our other clients uh, a couple more uh, million of cubic meters of methane, uh, they would make more money. So for me, yes, uh, when the price is high, then you ultimately want to look at how to make sure that you use every bit of the product so this is purely financial question which i think yes it's well advantage and uh, second uh, i don't agree on the kind of concern that there are no uh, feasible solutions and how we can now in the fragile state when we're looking where we can get the uh, fossil gas be asking someone to you know not pollute while they're doing it well First of all, it shows me, and that's beyond the scope of uh, the and regulation, it shows me how uh, hypocritical it is to talk about fossil gas as the key transition solution. No, it's the kind of last, likely the last fossil fuel that we're going to switch off, but it's something that should be the last resort when we don't have uh, energy efficiency and renewables providing sufficient solution today. Hence, a bit of a side issue the taxonomy link. Now, second, what I think it's important here to look at is, okay, can we, instead of imposing things on the importers or kind of trying to make sure that uh, the Putin's regime is following uh, European legislation, that's not going to happen, say, we create a level playing field. We create a level playing field where we are using the independent estimates of our own satellites, which we accept are not you know, detailed as on site, but still provide us with quite some picture. Uh, put a carbon border adjustment on methane uh, in the imported fossil fuels, and use this revenue to lessen our dependency on future fossil fuels. Very simple solution: less imports, more energy dependence for Europe, and actually a market mechanism that creates a level playing field for European operators. What is helping us from that?
0: Okay, thanks, Martin Hoisic, for this um, uh, interesting suggestion. Uh, Let me turn to Jutta Paulus now, maybe for a uh, uh, a reaction about the current situation on the gas markets globally, and clearly Europe is in a very difficult position right now. Is it the right moment to impose um, uh, tougher rules on on methane, both in Europe and potentially uh, beyond, or do you believe, like Martin Hoisic, that on the contrary, it's the perfect time?
3: Well, actually, I I really liked, uh, Martin, I really liked your statement saying this is hypocritical, because if we would always say, well, but we depend on this country or that country regarding this or that commodity, so we just throw overboard all our values, all our legislation, all that we are actually standing for as European Union, then we could as well um, Give back our Nobel Peace Prize and all the other stuff we have uh, received and um, forget about human rights declaration and um, how about uh, Uyghurs being forced to slave labor, never mind about that. So I think this is, this is a, the again, a decisive issue. You cannot go forward saying as long as we, um, as our opponents, so to speak, or as our a different political system let's call it that has something in its hands we must not stand up and impose anything on them which they might find um they might find inconvenient because we must not anger them that's a sort of i would not go so far to call it appeasement policy but it it goes in this direction how can we um honestly say we're battling climate change we're doing our utmost to reach our climate targets when at the same time we we are saying we are turning a blind eye to what europe is causing in other parts of the world yes of course um there is a possibility that for example Gazprom, but also other um actors on the on the global stage will say, well, this is a perfect excuse for us for not delivering to Europe anymore. But to be very honest, if, if they want to, they will find an excuse in everything which we do or do not do. I mean, um, you have heard the very curious reactions from some politicians in and outside Russia concerning the the um, current um, situation at the in the Donbas and at the border. So they don't need any pretext on us tackling methane emissions for putting pressure on the European Union. And if we are caving in now, if we are turning, if we are making ourselves smaller than we are, then of course we will send the signal to the world, well, look at the ambitious climate leader who walked in in the Paris um, negotiation room, arm in arm, with with the Ambition Coalition, look what they're doing when we put a a little pressure on them. If we want to remain trustworthy, if we want to really um, stick to our climate targets, then we cannot say, oh, there's a difficulty, we should leave this now. We have, I believe, sufficient possibilities which could be deployed pretty quickly at least when it comes to energy efficiency, I have seen so many examples where energy is just wasted that we should not um, try to try to please um, our our trade partners by um, backing from our environmental targets. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Uh, let me uh, put the question now to Didier uh, Olo from Eurogas. Uh, so, with a view to the current situation on gas markets uh, globally, um, obviously there is a huge concern, uh, specifically in Europe. Does that change, in your view, the way the European Union should approach regulation on methane emissions?
4: Well, um, let me consider several things. First. I think it's difficult that we criticize the u.s for extraterritorial legislation and that now we are just considering doing exactly the same so deciding what legislation should apply to other countries is always quite a a tough issue so I, i suggest to be prudent second there is a relatively easy way to both decrease our dependency on imports and reduce methane emission, which is developing biogas far more rapidly than we currently do. You know, the assessment of the biogas potential by European Biogas Association is huge. So it will not bring us to self-sufficiency, but it will significantly reduce the imports. And therefore, it will give us some leverage on uh, the different importers, because then we may have more choice and more leverage to say, well, um, we cannot get rid of all our imports, but we certainly can choose to, to protect more this one than that one when at the same time we increase our own production. And by increasing our own production, we d- reduce the methane e- emission from agriculture. And uh, that's a very, very significant a contribution to the global reduction of methane emission. So I think that's something which we should um, certainly take more into account in our fight against methane emission. And I take this opportunity to say that to the ones who pretend that methanization, so production of biomethane is emitting a lot of methane, that it's simply not true. We have measured emission extensively on some of the uh, recent uh, uh, biogas production plants that we have in in France. And we have found a level of leaks which were below the measurement capacity. So uh, a well-operated biomethane plant is not emitting any methane, but it's reducing a lot of spontaneous emission from manure from different products that we put into the methanization. So that's a very efficient way to reduce um, methane emission, but also to improve our security of supply and give us some leverage in the negotiation with uh, upstream players. Now, uh, should we do more? Yes. And I agree with Martin that at the current price, uh, it should be worth for the exporting countries to fight against leaks because they can uh, get more value out of the gas they will be able to sell, than it will cost them to reduce venting. I take a very simple example. In uh, Europe, for the past uh, 5 to 10 years, depending on operators, when we have to empty a high-pressure pipe to do a repair, we are sucking the gas out of this pi- piece of pipe, compressing it into the nearest uh, pipe, so as to avoid venting or flaring this gas from the the piece of pipe that we need to repair in russia they are still venting it not even flaring it but venting it which is very detrimental and we are sure that at the current price it's worth bringing a mobile compressor and uh, saving this gas and avoiding to, to vent it so we may help them, convince them, that it's their own well-understood interest to adopt such good practices. And I agree that the current prices make it worse for them to do it, so it's the right time to do this kind of movement. Can it be done through legislation or through more soft power? I think uh, today soft power is is probably more efficient for this kind of good practices. But um, once again, at the end of the day, the issue is I heard about imposing our legislation on foreign countries. But if they don't do anything and just wait to see if we will shut down the the valve, will we shut it down in the middle of winter? No, we don't. So not enforceable uh, obligation are not good for
0: our credibility. Thanks, Didiolo. Let me turn to Dagmar, Drogsma, now about the current situation on on gas markets. Uh, Do you believe this is a reason to um, change or adapt uh, the EU's approach to methane uh, regulation? Do you think this is something that risks pushing up prices even further? Or do you agree with some of the other speakers that it can also contribute to actually lowering uh, prices uh, while also lowering emissions?
5: Thank you, uh, Frederic, for that question. And I think, ultimately, we've got to keep in mind why we want this legislation. And you know, it's it's not a coincidence that I started my statement with referring to what the IPCC got across very clearly last year. Namely, that if you cut methane emissions urgently, 1.5 degrees is still within your reach. So that is basically the price that we can get by enforcing this legislation so you know I fully fully accept the issues that at the moment are playing in terms of gas prices and what have you and I also really understand the impact that has on lots of people in society in Europe but it's short term over longer term and I think therefore that's already a very conclusive reason that you can't simply then forget about cutting methane emissions and just let the future disappear into oblivion I think perhaps as a last remark, you know, and perhaps to remind people of something that Franz Timmermans said himself, you know, this whole current price hike in the European energy sector, it shows very clearly the need to reduce the EU's dependency on imported fossil fuels and speak about our transition of green energy. You know, it sums it up, doesn't it? So there are several things we need to do. That's one of it. The other one is reducing methane emissions. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. I understand Jyotopoulos needs to leave uh, soon. Uh, Maybe a final uh, remark?
3: Actually, I I would have already left, to be very honest. I just didn't want to be so impolite. So I would like to thank everyone for the interesting discussion and happy to um, discuss these issues further as, of course, we will um, work on this legislation in the European Parliament in the coming weeks and months.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Can I, maybe, can I maybe just put a question while you're still there, and because Martin Osik might also want to chip in. Uh, there is still an open question in European Parliament as to who will be the rapporteur for the methane regulation. Can you tell us very briefly where we are at now with uh, these discussions? Have the political groups come to an agreement on that?
3: Um, the leadership will be in the ENVY committee because it's an environmental issue and ITRO will deliver an opinion, the industry research energy committee. And yesterday, NV coordinators um, had the bidding process so we will have a rapporteur from ID on this file.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Utopoulos. We
3: have no name to...
0: yet. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Uh, Martin Hosek, maybe um, a a quick word about this question of who's going to get the uh, the leadership on on this file in the European Parliament. So it's going to be with the ID group. Um, Can you tell us uh, maybe how you see those uh, negotiations now shaping up within the uh, Assembly?
2: Well, uh, I have to say I'm a bit concerned about the fact that it's got ID, but... uh... They indeed uh, gave most of the points in the bidding process for the file. Uh, we'll have to see how the negotiations will look like because for number of groups, including my one, there is a cordon sanitaire uh, for ID because of the undemocratic uh, policies and, and uh, statements. So this is something that will have to be seen, but definitely to start with, uh, there will be work on, on the amendments uh, and discussions within the individual uh, political groups. Uh, I guess uh, those of us who, are, uh, been, who have been following uh, the topic uh, will be uh, also informally talking across the groups. I expect that uh, we might have an informal changes between the shadows who uh, will be following meetings uh, since the own initiative report. So let's see. Uh, I'm expecting to, to hear who will be uh, having uh, the file from the ID group and what will be the approximate talent as, as the closest next steps uh, because it's going to be important. But also I'm looking forward to discuss, more discussions with uh, different stakeholders. Uh, definitely, for example, hearing about uh, biogas uh if we keep sufficient not only the methane leaks uh, covered, but also uh, accidents, then uh, I have to say uh, I see quite a bit of a potential there uh, within, for example, the utilization of the uh, organic waste, also, for example, from municipalities uh, as a potential source of a, of a biomethane. Uh, there are uh, definitely lots of interesting discussions. Also, i hoping for more uh, in-depth discussions uh, with the Commission, because my preference is to not just hear the different stakeholders out, but also to kind of have a critical exchange with the Commission uh, on uh, how they see different parts of the proposal uh, before coming up with my own amendments. But they will come.
0: Thanks, Martin Hosek. Um, uh, and now um, uh, there's a question from the audience, which is currently uh, top um, in the, uh, um, uh, here on our uh, platform. Uh, so for you, Malcolm McDowell, uh, it's a question of, uh, about biogas. Um, so why is biogas production not part of the scope of the regulation, even though the Commission identified uh, leaks from biogas plants as one of the main identified sources of methane in the methane strategy? Uh, can you very briefly explain that?
1: Sure, I, I can answer that question quickly and I want to also come back on a few other points I haven't had a chance to come back on if I may, um, uh, biogas production um, and first I want to say vis-a-vis uh, the potential for, for biogas we completely concur with industry that um, this, uh, this, this is an opportunity definitely to ramp up renewables uh, and in this particular context, the switch, to accelerate the switch towards uh, renewable sources of of, uh, of gas is not just biogas, it's sustainable renewable sources of, 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 of gas. Uh, let's not forget they should be sustainable, not all biogas necessarily is. Though I, I would ask a question about how quickly we can ramp up uh, biogas production. And the last figures that I looked at, uh, we were talking about um, less than 10% of natural gas production uh of, of consumption, less than 10% of, of uh, overall gas consumption is bio uh, consumption, yes is biogas uh, consumption. so it will not quickly replace natural gas. Uh, why didn't we uh, we did uh, uh, cover biogas biomethane uh, 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 in uh, this proposal at the, from the point of injection onwards it's covered if the leak uh, from a pipeline, um, is a methane leak, uh, irrespective of its, of its origin, of course, it has to be controlled and repaired. So it's covered from the point of inje- injection. From the point of production to the point of injection, the Renewable Energy Directive already covers that and already has incentives to re- reduce the greenhouse gas emissions um, and specifically the methane emissions in biogas production. But we're actually reinforcing that, and the JLC is currently doing some work for us to use the delegated powers available to the Commission to provide stronger incentives, such as also a, a, a green a methane calculation methodology to dever, deliver actual values uh, with regards to methane emissions in biogas uh, plants. And, and this will reinforce the incentives already in the RD, but the RD covers the production aspect of, 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 of biogas. And I want to come back on some of the other points we we're talking about increasing prices further. and, and um, whether or not uh, this proposal could have an impact on prices and considering in the, in the current context. Let me be clear, when I spoke about the current context, I was talking about the security of, of supply aspect situation. Um, I'm not talking about uh, the, the possible impact it could have on prices. I think we we got length in the impact assessment to highlight how cost effective a lot of measures are. And the higher the price of natural gas, fossil gas, uh, the more cost-effective these measures are. Uh, if you look at the numbers in impact assessment, um, even if you take into account the very high costs of methane emissions to society, um, off the top of my head, uh, between three and 4,000 uh, euros per tonne of methane, as calculated by UNEP and the CCAC, you find that still a large majority of the measures uh, pay for themselves um, and are, are are less costly than than the cost to society of methane. So the cost-effectiveness aspect is covered, and it will not have any uh, any impact on prices we we consider. Otherwise, there was a point that was made, um, and I forget who made that point, that we don't cover. We don't have any obligations for coal uh, coal mines to mitigate the methane emissions. We have very extensive uh, obligations uh, for all parts of uh, coal mines, including uh, abandoned and closed coal mines to mitigate their methane emissions, that's, that's quite wrong. I want to come back on, the, on, on uh, what was said also by both MEPs, uh, talking about how we're being hypocrites um, uh, by not regulating imports. I think it's rather... It's not quite, uh, I think, as simple as that. Uh, we believe in international agreements. We believe uh, in the sovereignty of the, the other parties signing up to international I- agreements. That's why we still have them. If we were uh, as cynical as has been described, I think we wouldn't be sign up, signing up anymore international agreements. I, I, I expect both MEPs believe in the Paris Agreement. The, the whole essence of the Paris Agreement is for everyone to take on their own responsibilities and demonstrate efforts towards reach, reaching the goals of the Paris Agreement. Uh, if we weren't if we were to consider ourselves to be uh, to be hypocritical by not regulating the, those other companies uh, and, and therefore uh, try to regulate them, it would mean not only that we wouldn't respect the sovereignty of those countries, but we wouldn't believe in international agreements. And I don't think anyone here definitely uh, would defend that. Uh, with regards to CBAM, uh, CBAM, the scope is there for including uh, methane emissions at a later date, but, methane, but, but CBAM was very much developed specifically for dealing with CO2 emissions for the ETS, in fact, on which we have extremely good data, uh, uh, point source data, um, and, and, uh, uh, and which isn't the situation for methane right now. I think we can consider a CBAM later on when the fruits of this regulation uh, come through in a few years' time and we have a rather good baseline uh, 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 in terms of methane emissions and we're able to uh, to know exactly how, the magnitude uh, uh, occurrence, uh, location of those methane emissions, which we don't uh, today even in the EU, uh, unlike CO2 emissions. And then we'll be able to, uh, um, and, and not just in the EU, but in other parts of the world, of course. And then I think we maybe could consider at uh, a later date uh, uh, extending the event to, uh, uh, to uh, methane. Um, and I think I've covered all points. Yes, yes. thanks.
0: Thanks, Malcolm. We've reached uh, the end of this conference, but before we close, I would like to ask each one of you to summarize very briefly in two sentences what you would like our audience to take home with them. And so let me start with you, Malcolm.
1: Well, as I've said at the beginning, I think we have an ambitious proposal. And don't take for granted any uh, any aspects of that proposal in terms of, uh, of the level of ambition that we struck. And don't forget, if you consider the import part is not ambitious enough uh, that we also have the means uh, after a few years very very uh, close in time in the future to review and increase uh, the ambition if uh, if required but but with the right uh, with the right approach and the right uh, assessment um, uh, and taking into account also uh, the fact that we still believe uh, in international agreements and still believe that we can actually achieve a lot in terms of methane em- emission reductions in our with our partner countries in the next few years via uh, via the international agreements that we have signed up notably the, the global methane pledge
0: thanks martin hosik uh, your own uh, main message very quickly
2: well it is a step in the right direction but there is a bigger step that we can take uh, the uh, opportunity shall not be missed and I think this is indeed an opportunity and we need to create a level play field uh, for the European businesses with their foreign competition while ensuring high protection of our climate because there is only one planet that we have.
0: Thank you. Didier Olo, your main message from today's conference in two sentences, please.
4: First, the European gas industry has already done a lot in reduction of methane leaks. We are still working on it. We can still improve. We work under the assumption that all leaks are preventable and should be prevented, and we will continue doing that. We welcome the METAN pledge because it will allow a lot of countries to have the same level of good practices as the European gas industry has, and that will improve the global situation. And third, we strongly believe that the gas industry is part of the solution by collecting um, biogas on one side, collecting gas from old coal mines, for instance, on the other side, and thus contributing to the reduction of uh, methane emission today. Thank you for your attention.
0: Thanks Didiolo. And to close now, Dagmar Drogsma, your uh, takeaway from today's conference. Very quickly, please.
5: Very quickly. So, we do think there are many positive elements in the draft legislation, particularly on the technical measures, MOV, LDAR, and Benton and Flaring. We are underwhelmed by the parts on imports, but also, you know, we'd love to work with the Commission, with the Parliament and Council and business as well, actually, because, you know, you cannot really help us improve that part of the legislation and try and find solutions that are credible. And really help us to reduce the emissions that need to be reduced.
0: Many thanks Dagmar, Drogsma. I think this uh, wraps up today's event. A big thanks to EDF Europe for supporting it. A big thanks as well to our, our panelists for your time for joining in today, uh, as well as to our viewers for tuning in and following us. If you missed the beginning of this debate, you can uh, still watch it on YouTube and other social media platforms. And if you'd like to know more about upcoming uh, events on Your Active, you can uh, check that on our website, events.youractive.com. That's it for me. We hope to see you again soon. In the meantime, take care and bye-bye.